All right, good morning. Well, would you please join me in prayer before we open up God's word? Heavenly Father, we just praise you this morning and we thank you that we can come before you and worship you and lift your name on high, God, because it's all because of you, Lord, that we can have hope, that we can have joy, that we know that this life is not all there is, that there is hope of resurrection and eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, this morning as we open up your word, we pray you'd open up our hearts so that we can hear your truths anew this morning, that you may teach us, you may correct us, you may guide us, and that you would encourage our hearts, Lord, to rejoice in you, to find our hope in you. And so, God, I just pray that you would speak through me, uh, that I would just be your vessel this morning, and uh, that you would be glorified, uh, that your name would be made great. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again, um, and we are continuing our series through the book of Romans this morning, and if you were with us last week, we ended at verse 7, um, and that was the end of Paul's greeting in Romans 1-7. He says, to all those in Rome, so it's the Apostle Paul writing to all those who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this morning, we're going to look at the next section here in Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 17, and we're going to break them down. Uh, Paul begins in Romans chapter 1, verse 8. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Their faith is proclaimed in all the world. So, so the saying you know, all roads lead to Rome, came to be because Rome was the central hub of all culture, all commerce, and all power in the days of the Roman Empire. And they happened to be fantastic road builders uh, to boot. So, so in essence, all roads did lead to Rome. So because of this, word traveled fast from Rome, and Paul had heard of their faith uh, being proclaimed in all the world. For Rome not only imported all the cultures uh, they conquered, they also exported culture. And from Rome, uh, the known world could be reached. And Paul, though never being to Rome, heard of the faith of the church in Rome because the known world reached Rome and other believers reached Rome before Paul was able to reach Rome and they established this thriving church that was there already that Paul is writing to, a thriving yet persecuted church. And that's worth mentioning and talking about a little bit uh, because of how unusual this was for Roman culture. See, Rome would incorporate all the different gods into their own beliefs. So the people they would conquer, they would bring the, the, those people's gods back to Rome and they would just incorporate it into their own beliefs. And this is called syncretism. And it's what made the Jews and the Christians alike stand apart from uh, common Roman society. For the Jews and Christians had loyal love for one God only. Uh, and they were actually called atheists because of this. And in the face of the culture seeking to blend all religions together, it would become increasingly challenging to maintain loyal love to the God of the Bible when it was fashionable to hold loosely you know, to uh, your beliefs, hold loosely to scripture, and make room for more ways to think about God. The problem with this is that not all belief systems were equal. 
Not all belief systems are equal, and two opposing views cannot both be true at the same time. See, what sets Christianity apart then and even today is grace. It's grace. It is about God and what God has done and not about what we have done or what we do in any way. It's about us trusting in him and in the finished work of Christ. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. It's the wonderful news of the gospel is that God has made a way where man could not, where we failed time and time again. God made away. And that's why it's such good news. And that's why it's so critical. And we're going to see throughout, throughout Romans, throughout scripture, it's so critical to stay true to it because otherwise you're going to add works on top of it. And that runs counter to the whole gospel. So we would have to, you know, in order to start blending these different beliefs, we'd have to ignore core doctrines of the faith uh, to include other faiths into ours. And, and that only shows, when, we, when people start doing that, only shows that uh, our love of man is greater than our love of God. For if we loved God, we would seek, seek his ways over our ways. But loving ourselves and others more than God means we sacrifice God's ways for the sake of going along to get along. And that, I suppose, is the true sticking point. Loyal love of God. And in that same love of God, we are called by him to love our enemies, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to put the interests of others before our own. But that is balanced by and, and kept oriented only through our love of God and love of his statutes. That's why the first three of the Ten Commandments deal with loyal love of God. And the fourth commandment, which is to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, is the bridge between that, that loyal love of God and loving others, loving our neighbor as ourself. So the Sabbath was commanded to uh, keep the Sabbath holy, and on the Sabbath you're commanded to give your whole household rest. So your employees could rest, your sons and your daughters could rest, and even your animals were giving rest, and the day was, was devoted to and committed to God. So that's that bridge between loving God and loving others. And then the following six commandments have to deal with loving your neighbor as yourself. So, so this is why Jesus says, the greatest commandment is this, when he was asked. He says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But he doesn't end there. He says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these, says Christ. But, and this is a big but, there's an order to it. Our loyal love belongs to God first. So if I'm teaching something counter to what's found in scripture, then no matter how much you love me, right, God's word comes first. And the, the first time, you know, you assume it's ignorance on my part or, or stupidity, and then you gently correct me. But if I do it again, for example, I say Jesus really isn't the Christ, then I have disqualified myself for teaching. No matter, you know, if I sound spiritual or mystical or, or wise, it, it would be a false teaching. And all false teachings today you will find center around the person and the nature of Jesus. He is the dividing line. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's an exclusive statement that demands investigation. Because if what he says is true, he is the only way. We don't make our own way. He made a way and calls us to follow him as he is our good shepherd who goes before us. So we, in humility, follow him. 
See, the proud go their way, the, the, the foolish go another way, but the sheep of the good shepherd uh, go his way. And the sheep, he says, will know his voice, meaning they'll know his voice by knowing his word. That's how you recognize his way and discern between true and false teachings. It's a dangerous thing to be a teacher. We see that in scripture. Jesus had grace upon grace for sinners. And we saw that time and time again through the gospel accounts. Uh, But for the false teachers, uh, for those who led his sheep astray, he had only wrath because all roads don't lead to Rome. The one by and through Christ Jesus is the only way of salvation. Paul goes on in verse 9. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul is saying here, God knows and sees and hears my prayers for you. He is my witness of my continual praying for you. What a wonderful thing that Paul is just, he's this man of prayer, a man of continual prayer, lifting up peoples he'd never met before, praying that he could be with them, to visit them. What an example that he sets for the church, capital C Church. See, we need to be about prayer. We need to be about praying for others. Uh, see, I can be spitting mad at somebody until the moment I pray for them. <laughs> and as soon as I genuinely, genuinely pray for that person, my anger dissipates. Why? Because my spirit understands I'm lifting them up to the one who died for them, to the one who loves them more than I can comprehend. And in so doing, I begin to have his eyes for that person. I begin to have his heart for that person. So we pray for our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. And more than that, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Even those we have yet to meet. You know, think of the global persecuted church. Pray for them. Think of our missionaries. Pray for them. So Paul prays for the church in Rome. And he desires to visit them, praying that God would allow it. And we see now why he desires this. He writes in verse 11, he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So he longs to bless them, to bless them and to be blessed by them, to, it, to be an encouragement to them and to be encouraged by them. And, and that is so true of what we call short-term missions. See, when we go uh, to be with our brothers and our sisters in Mexicali or in Kenya or in Czech or in Cambodia, it is with the desire to bring a blessing and to receive a blessing, to bring encouragement and to be encouraged. And it seems as though we always come home exhausted, but filled, completely worn out, but forever changed, forever impacted by the people that we spent time with. That's why short-term missions are so important. And yes, you know, there are good and bad ways to do them. But we find that developing long-term relationships is, is the most powerful way and the most impactful way to do them. And yes, they could be expensive with, with long flights, but it's about lives being touched, hearts being filled, and spirits being encouraged. And at the same time, 
I should, I, I should think it should be assumed, uh, but this should not be overlooked. You don't have to travel to do this. Right? You don't have to go overseas to do this. You could be a blessing. You can be an encouragement here and now. And by doing so, you yourself will be blessed. You yourself will be encouraged. You can bless others and encourage others with your spiritual gifts, and others can do the same for you. You want to breathe life into our church? Man, be an encourager. Seek to be a blessing. Pray for others. Pastor Joe shared a short Simon Sinek uh, motivational video on our study guide for this week about Navy SEALs. Actually, I, I really encourage you to go check it out. I think it's the third link down. So when uh, Kevin posts the sermon online, he'll attach a PDF study guide there. Uh, they can go, you can dig deeper into the sermon with that. And then at the bottom of it, of it there, there's links. And so if you go online, the, the link, you just click on it. Um, you can watch some of the videos that Joe posted there. And, and one of the videos is about Navy SEALs. So Simon talks about what separates the Navy SEALs who make it through the SEAL training and the ones that don't. Um, it's kind of where they get weeded out. See, the, the SEALs, Navy SEALs, are the elite of the elite. They're the elite warriors of the world. And one of the SEALs was asked about who makes it through this rigorous training. And he shared that the ones who make it through aren't the buffed up, tatted up bodybuilders. And neither are they the college athletes you know, who set records in their day. They are the ones, the ones who make it through, are the ones that when, there is, when they have nothing left to give, when they're completely worn out mentally and physically, they look to their right and they look to their left and they find the strength to help those around them. They are the ones who become the greatest warriors on the planet. So you want to become a warrior for Christ? Become a really, really good helper. Looking to those around you and how you can bless them, how you can encourage them, how you can strengthen them. And by doing so, you will find a strength you didn't know you had. So when times are tough, look for ways for helping others. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10.4, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. They're not of the flesh. We're not using guns in our warfare, okay? It's not what this is about. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, he says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, uh, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. And sometimes for us, that battle is when everything in us wants to look out for our own interests only. And then when we do that, we have to remember that our Lord went to the cross for us. And that we too are called to look out for the interests of others. So when times are, are, are tough, man, and, and, and you're, everything in you is wanting to look out for your own interests, remember the cross. And may that strengthen you in difficult times. May that lead you to becoming an elite warrior of the faith who looks out for the interests of others. That when you're struggling to breathe, you're looking to your right and to your left. Who can I help? Who can I help? And in doing so, that's going to strengthen us. Paul goes on in verse 13. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, 
that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented. And here we get to his second reason for wanting to go. He says, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So his goal here is also to be an evangelist. That's Paul's gifting. And, and no one is better equipped for this task than Paul. And we saw last week how when he was brought to Rome uh, as a prisoner, one of the first things he did there was he called together the Jewish leaders to make a defense to them and to teach them the gospel. He said in Acts chapter 28, he said, brothers, when he called some of the Jewish leaders to him, he said, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. It's because of the hope of Israel I'm wearing this chain. What's that hope? He's in prison for the name of Jesus, the hope of Israel, and the very one rejected by Israel. And he said to them, we have received, and, and, and they said to him, so when Paul said this to, to them, they responded, they said, we have received no letters from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, so with regard to Christianity or the way, uh, they said, we know that everywhere it is spoken against Spoken against everywhere. Why? Well, we looked a little bit at that, at that earlier. Because of its exclusivity to all but the one God, which ostracized them from the Gentiles. And then that Jesus is the Christ, the, the Jewish Messiah. And this ostracized them from the Jews, for the religious leaders rejected Jesus as their Messiah. But in their rejection of him and of condemning him to death, was his fulfillment through the cross and resurrection. So even those who stand against him are powerless against his purposes and his promises moving forward. And that should be a great comfort to us. It certainly was to the early church who were spoken against, we read, everywhere. Not for their conduct, for they helped the poor and the widows and the orphans more than the empire. And the empire was even embarrassed because of how well the early church loved those around them and cared for those around them. This is not why they were rejected. They were rejected because they rejected the pagan gods and the idols and the rituals of the day. They refused to sleep with the temple prostitutes. And in regards to uh, Judaism, uh, they were rejected because they did not require the Gentiles to follow the ritualistic and sacrificial laws of the Old Testament. So they did not require circumcision. And this was a big issue that we'll get into a little bit later uh, through, through Romans. Um, anyhow, so it is not so much what they did, but what they would not do that earned them such ire from everyone. That they were spoken against everywhere. Verse 14 continues in uh, Romans chapter 1. Paul says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, 
both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So he's obligated to preach to civilized and uncivilized, educated and uneducated, you know, Greco-Romans and, and non-Greco-Romans. Uh, the word barbarians actually originated in Greece, and it was initially used to describe all non-Greek-speaking peoples, including Persians, Egyptians, Medes, and Phoenicians. And, and the word uh, is, is thought to probably be uh, onomatopoeic in origin, so like boom or bang. Uh, uh, so the the bar-bar sound uh, represented the perception of, of the Greeks of the languages other than their own. So they're just speaking bar-bar-bar-bar-bar. Uh, so they're barbarians. Uh, and then the Romans used this term also, barbarous, for uncivilized people. And in fact, it became a, a common term to refer to all foreigners among the Romans, including the, uh, the Germanic peoples, the Persians, the Gauls, the Phoenicians, and the Carthaginians. So, you know, most of us were barbarians. Uh, and that's who Paul is talking about here. But it's not, it's not meant to be offensive. Uh, he's saying, whatever the case, I, Paul, am, am ca- I'm called to preach to you, whoever you are. He has no discrimination. He's preaching to everyone. And this infuriated uh, some of the Jews. But it was God's calling on Paul's life and God's plan for the world. He goes on and explains in verse 16 why he is so eager. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What is the gospel? It is the power of God. So the gospel is not good advice. It's not a self-help book saying, and this is how you can lift yourself up. No, it is power. It lifts up. The gospel doesn't bring power. It is power. It is God's power. When the gospel is preached, the power of God is at work. The holy fire of God is aflame and at work giving light and warmth and life. And this power is directed towards salvation. This is its trajectory, salvation. Salvation to eternal glory. Salvation to new and true life. Salvation to goodness and holiness and purity of God and salvation to God's perfect love and relationship restored with him. And not only salvation to, but also from. Salvation from wrath. Salvation from being alienated and hostile towards God. Salvation from sin. Salvation from death. Salvation from nihilism and futility. Salvation from spiritual oppression and demon possession. Salvation has many facets, and and in some ways it has already been achieved, and in other ways it's an ongoing process, and even still it has yet a future fulfillment for us. It's the power of God. And who is it for? Paul says, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And Greek here is synonymous with Gentiles, meaning for all nations and tribes and peoples. So yes, it came to the Jew first. They were the people by which the gospel came through but it came through them for all. And even though many could not see that, it was promised from the very beginning in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is the gospel promise. That is the ends of the earth promise happening from the calling of Abraham. And from the line of Abraham comes David. And from the line of David comes, according to the scriptures, and according to the flesh comes the Messiah, Jesus, born of a virgin in Bethlehem. And Paul is not ashamed of it, even though we read in Acts chapter 28 that it was spoken against everywhere. He is not ashamed of it because it's the power of God for salvation. You can imagine what what Paul oftentimes walked into on his missionary journeys, particularly, you know, when he went first into the synagogues, when he went to a new city. And they had already heard about him from others. And, and, and they would go to them and say, hey, when, when Paul comes or when someone comes to tell you that Jesus is the Messiah, do not listen to that person. They'd even go to the local authorities and, and, and rile them up against Paul coming into town. So, so Paul had pretty thick skin because not only, you know, did they often outright reject him, but they repaid him with beatings and, and getting the city officials involved, having him driven out and imprisoned. But most importantly, beyond having thick skin, uh, Paul's strength came from keeping the gospel central. It was about salvation because eternity was on the line. Because we are guilty before a holy and a righteous God. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you hate your brother in your heart, you're guilty of murder of him. He says, if you look at another in lust, you're guilty of adultery in your heart. He does this with many things, and he does this to give us pause. And it should give us pause. Because God looks at our heart. You know, and we might think, oh, we're a decent person. We haven't done anything too crazy, too terrible. But even, even hating your brother in your heart, man, it causes you to be guilty of murder before God, the holy and righteous one. And Jesus wants to get our attention here because the Jews thought themselves righteous because they followed the law. But in reality, the law Jesus was showing only reveals the deep brokenness within us that can only be healed through divine intervention. That is where the power of the gospel comes in. That is why Paul is not ashamed of this message. And he says that it's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to Greeks for it is the power of God and the wisdom of God that to receive it, to receive the gospel, it requires a deep level of humility in our hearts to say that, Lord, I am wretched and I'm broken before you. I repent. I want to be done with the old life, the old self, and receive new life from you. That's a terribly difficult thing to do. And it's why we can say it's because of the mercy of God that we read that Nebuchadnezzar was driven to his knees out into the wilderness to walk on all fours like an ox, and eat grass for seven years. And only after seven years did he finally look up to heaven and repent and say, God, I humble myself before you. It took him seven years to come to that place of saying, it's not about me, God, it's about you. And he glorified the name of God. That's how difficult it can be sometimes for us to humble ourselves before God. Let's read on. Uh, We're coming to the end here in verse 17. For Paul, he's now giving an explanation and grounds for what he just said in verse 16. Uh, He says, this is true uh, because for in it, verse 17, in it, in what? In the gospel, in it, 
the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The what is revealed? The righteousness of God is revealed. How? It is revealed through Christ. And it's revealed from faith, meaning not only do we understand it, but we also receive it. We receive the righteousness of God from faith, and it's revealed from faith for faith. The righteousness of God is revealed as an attribute of God, yes, but also as an impartation from God, from faith, for faith. Paul goes on, as it is written, Paul now, he now quotes from Habakkuk 2.4, he says, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And what is faith? Faith is that humble posture before God. Faith leads to trust and obedience of God. Faith leads to loyal love of God. So to live by faith is to live by faithfulness and trueness to God. Not a God of our own making, but the God who revealed himself to us in his word and throughout history. Christ Jesus, who revealed the righteousness of God to us on the cross and through the resurrection has made the righteousness of God available to us to bring us back into right relationship with himself so that we can be called sons and daughters of the living God. And that's good news. And because of what Jesus has done, we can say it's as simple as the ABCs to come to faith, to receive salvation. The ABC is to admit, to believe, and to choose. Simply saying, God, I admit to you, I fall short. I'm broken. I'm sinful. My heart, man, I have wretched thoughts sometimes, God. I repent before you. I admit, God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I believe, B, I believe that Savior is Jesus, and that his work on the cross is the finished work that through it I can have forgiveness of sins. And through the resurrection, I can have eternal life with him. And I choose, I see, I choose to follow him. I choose to commit my life to following him all the days of my life. It's that simple. It's that simple because he did it. <laughs> we didn't do it. It's nothing that we have earned on our own. It's by placing our faith in him and in the grace of God. That's the beauty and the simplicity and the power of the gospel. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you that you loved us first, that you went to the cross for us, Lord. And God, I pray that if somebody out there um, is being stirred in their hearts, uh, that, that Lord, they would go to you this morning in faith, admitting before you that they need you, Lord, and believing that Jesus, your work on the cross is finished and choosing to follow you all the days of their life. God, would you enter into their hearts? Would you renew them? Would you surround them with love and support and encouragement? And God, we thank you that the gospel is your power, that it's your power to bring about salvation. So Lord, we thank you for this morning we thank you that you are with us, and we pray that you go before us the rest of this week, that we would be those committed to you, and because of that, we are those who are about helping others, about praying for others, about lifting up others when they're down. 
So Lord, we praise your holy names. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.